This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my buddy Dylan Ness. So Dylan's been on the podcast before. He's a good friend of mine, hunting buddy, fishing buddy, and um, just an overall savage in the mountains. Like uh, such a commitment to bow hunting and uh, self-improvement, being clutch in the moment, like all the great skills that make for a great bow hunter, Dylan has totally dedicated himself to. And so, uh, yeah, I just really like hunting with this guy. I really like our in-depth conversation. So I know if I can get him on the podcast, like we're going to have a great episode. And today's no different. Uh, so he's already harvested a great bowl this year, an 80-plus inch antelope with his bow. Uh, he's just having a great season, been chasing some good muleys around as well. Uh, so it's fun to get him on the podcast and hear his stories about uh, these animals. And then we can highlight like what he's done right, what he's done wrong, things that he's changed in his bow hunting that really helps all of us in self-improvement. So uh, really appreciate this guy, appreciate his time being on the podcast, and appreciate you guys listening in. So we'll get right into it. Just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Matthew's Bows. Uh, I'm absolutely in love with this phase four. In fact, I like the last three years or five years of these Matthews have all shot really good for me. Uh, so they're a great backcountry bow that holds up to all the abuse I can give them. And like this new phase four, I've had this thing in Australia, Hawaii. I've had it in multiple states, all different conditions from pouring down rain to heat to dry to uh, wet to cold, like you name it, I've had this bow in those conditions, and it just holds a tune so well. I just know I can trust it. It's such a forgiving bow, uh, such a forgiving shot, but it holds this tune through all those different conditions that I know I can count on it when it's time to make a shot. Uh, so I really enjoy these bows. Uh, Matthews is usually coming out with their new models in November, so I'm excited to see what they come up with. But like I say, you can't go wrong with these bows. And if you're in the market for one, I say just go to a shop and just shoot them and see if it fits you and you like the feel of it. Uh, this Phase 4 is also the quietest bow I've ever shot, which I think gives me a major advantage shooting at these really switched-on critters like axis deer which i killed my best buck this year with that phase four like mule deer just harvested a great mule deer last weekend uh like um uh antelope harvested a great tall buck this year like those animals don't jump the string because the bow is so quiet so it gives me a huge advantage if you're in the market go check one out and thanks for their support on the podcast through matthews i also want to thank stone glacier i uh, really like stone glacier and all the the, the gear they produce. I like the guys in the shop. They're really knowledgeable. Like Stone Glacier is just making absolute top-notch gear. So I'm using their sleep systems. I'm using their tents, which are absolutely bomb-proof. Uh, they also have the Sky Air, which is a modular bivy tent setup that I really like. I used it for my goat hunt in BC. 
Um, they they have the best sleeping bags on the market that go right down to the temp rating as far as being comfortable. So they've got a zero degree, a 15 degree, and they also have a 30 degree blanket, for, which is great for the early season. Um, so if you're in the market for any of this new gear, make sure to go check them out over at Stone Glacier. Those guys are doing an amazing job. I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. So they carry all the top name brands as well as their own name brand. They have a really knowledgeable staff, so you can call in there if you have any questions. They're happy to help you out, happy to answer it. They're backcountry hunters as well. So uh, they have the same needs, the same experience in the mountains, and um, can help guide you to the right gear in there. We have a promo code in there, so you can save 10% off your order by putting in the promo code ELEVATED10. Uh, we actually have another deal where if you're a Tag Hub Elite member, uh, you can save 20% off an order. So you can check out that through Tag Hub, becoming a member there as I use that as a resource to study all these western states. Uh, so you can, you can check that out as we're coming into application season now. I also want to thank Camo Fire. Camo Fire is an app where you can save a pile of money on gear that comes up. Uh, they have 80 new deals every 24 hours. You just download the app, watch those deals come up, and you can save a pile of money. So thanks to those guys as well. Uh, over at Eastman's, we're cruising. We've got good Beyond the Grids hitting. Uh, the magazines I've been writing for feels like about every uh, every uh, magazine here, every um, I want to say episode, but uh, uh, every uh, magazine that comes up, whether it's the Hunting Journal or the Bow Hunting Journal, seems like I've got a project for here lately. So been um, getting out some good articles. Just wrote one that's in the next Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal about hunting the rut for bucks, and I'd like to put a podcast together for that as well. So, um, yeah, you can check those out. Uh, every issue was the word I was looking for instead of episode. Episode would be a, a podcast or beyond the grid issue would be the magazine. So glad we cleared that up. So, uh, yeah, you check out the magazines, everything we do, check out the beyond the grids. You can check out my other podcast with Dan Picar, uh, Eastman's bow hunting journal, life of a bow hunter. It's on a different feed, great episodes every couple weeks that come out on there. So you can check that out and man, um, yeah, and check out our other podcasts. Uh, Ike's doing a podcast, uh, the Eastman's Hunting Journal. You can check that out. Uh, some great guests on there and great conversation as he's like a natural conversationalist. So um, check that out. And with that, let's get into this podcast. My good buddy Dylan Ness, we're talking bow hunting, which both of us truly love. Made for a great episode. I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Well, yeah. yeah, we'll get right into it, man. Um, heck of a season thus far. You're killing it. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's been fun. It, uh, yeah, it's just all came together. You know, it's one of those, it's one of those seasons that you, yeah, I mean, gosh, it's happened on the third day for, well, the bear, the antelope and the bull, you know, it's like, and it's one of those years where I set out to just more so enjoy you know, because I don't have a lot of tags. Uh, I have got everything here at home. And so I just kind of set out to enjoy the process of it all. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing how fast things can come together when it's more so just, I mean, yeah, obviously I got 
I had goals to arrow some good good critters, but it's just yeah, set out to enjoy the adventure and it just all kind of just has come together. So no, pretty fortunate. It feels good. It uh, st- still got one left to go, but yeah, it's been it's been a heck of a season. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, so. un- unreal antelope, unreal bull. Like, um, man, it's just um, it's like it's no surprise it's come together for you. You're like such a good bow hunter and work tirelessly at your craft at, and at improving. You know, and that's all facets: uh, your physical fitness, knowledge, shape, like everything that you work at. Like it's um, it's pretty much uh. It, well, it's not the only thing you think about, but um, it's definitely <laughs> top of the list. And so it's like definitely no surprise, but um, it it does just remind me of like how difficult it is. Like, uh, you know, watching a season last year where, you know, you, you're every single year you put down a good buck, good bull, uh, fill your tags. And then like, you know, watching you struggle last year to put it together and, you know, it was a tough season. And, you know, there's also other factors that play in like a new kid and um, trying to manage a business and all the other responsibilities that we have to do. Uh, but it's it's just not easy out there, is it? No, no. And like, <clears throat> that that's exactly right. And it's like, last year, it was for no, sh- no reason short of effort or anything, you know, any any excuse you could throw at it, it had nothing to do with that. It's like, the opportunities were there. Uh, it just never quite came together, you know, and I kind of got stuck hunting one bull for a while, which I kind of like doing that um, every, you know, when you find a good one, it's fun to chase a good one. You know, I mean, if anyone knows it's you, you know, so, and I got stuck into some country last year that wasn't really, didn't really play to my strong suit where this bull lived. It was just, you know, it's hard to say thick, but it's more timbered, you know? And last year, none of it would just totally come together. I'd have him in bow range all the time. And, uh, it just wouldn't come together. And, I almost got sucked into that well again this year. I started out my season in that spot and in hopes that that bull was still alive. And I quickly realized, dude, it's funny. I don't think I told you this when we talked earlier, but um, it was day two, morning of day two. And morning of day one, dude, it's like same sort of thing. Great bull in there. It wasn't the bull from last year. And uh, I in bow range, like a half dozen times that morning, you know, it just doesn't come together. And it's like, when I get into country that really suits the way that I like to play the game, you know, usually an arrow is on its way. Uh, and I get done that second morning and I did, I took a bugle tube with me because I was like, well, I'm just going to try and call him in if I can't get in, you know? And, uh, and then I sit down after the morning hunt. I mean, I guess it was like noon I was like, man, I need to get out of here. <laughs> you know, it's like this. I've hunted this place for probably 17, 18 days now over the last two years. And I've never loosed an arrow, you know. So it's like back to the pickup four miles around this spot and back to the pickup and got back into some country that played to how I like to hunt elk and how I've been successful hunting elk, you know. Hmm, that's interesting. So what do you think it is about that country that makes it so difficult? Like there's definitely bow hunting friendly country and I I know exactly what you're saying. Like I've 
beat my head against the wall, like trying to fill a tag in, you know, like take antelope, for instance, and I'm trying to hunt wide open prairies and I'm trying to crawl and get in close. And like uh, the stocks are all like these low percentage stocks to where then when I get in in like topography rich country where I've got all these canyons and hills and ridges, like all of a sudden it just comes together. Is it something like that? Was it the bull you're chasing, the pressure? Like what is it about that spot that makes it so difficult? You know, last year it, it had a little bit to do with the pressure, but it didn't even seem to bother that bull that much. He would always come back. It was the way that it lays out, the way that you have to approach it, you don't get to see him come into this, into this stuff. Like you're going in by sound, which, which is fine. And I dig that, but just the way that it lays out the, the parks are so small that they, like any sort of opening that you have an opportunity to get drawn on them is pretty fleeting. Like they're small little parks and the timber, I wouldn't say is like dog hair thick, but it's thick enough to where, I mean, I was at 18 yards on him last year and I didn't want to take a quartering two. And, but when he got to the side of me, I mean, it's like, I couldn't loose it on him. You know, I couldn't let it rip. And then I had him bedded one time at 55 and I just couldn't find a window, but it's not even so much that it can be done in there. It's just the way that I like to play the game out there. You know, I like to have my eyes on them, like where you can, kind of get a good visual and kind of like antelope hunting that's why i really I like antelope hunting it's like if i can see him i can kill him and that certain spot it was a lot of trying to cut him off and i got i mean obviously i got pretty familiar with the place uh and they i would just they would always beat me through pocket parks just playing playing the wind because the wind in that spot is tough too you know it's like it's you're never never wind in your face. I mean, it's like you've got to have to like cross wind them a little bit, you know, and try and intercept them that way, or play behind them and for a wrap around the corner. I mean, like this year, <laughs> in those two days, I was in bow range a half dozen times, you know, um, and it just didn't work. You know, it was one of those deals where it was a lot of fun, and yes, any any given day in that spot you could arrow bowl, but I just didn't want to fall back it down the well of beat my head against the wall. Cause the bull that was in there was a pretty sweet bull, you know, like he, he was, I could have got in trouble with that. Like he could have just been the one on my mind the whole time, but no, it was just, uh, it's just, it laid out fine. Like you would probably love it. Like I haven't hunted like mountains quite as much. Um, and I wouldn't even say it's like timber, like the mountains. It's just, it lays out goofy. I don't even know how to explain it. You yeah, know, it's no, just, I'm, I'm totally getting the gist of it. Yeah. As you start talking through it, like I can, I can hear it. I know what you're saying. So it, it is like the, the facts are is that, uh, the, the more open the country, the, the more visual the elk are, the better our chances are going to be. Right. And it's like, that's just the facts of it. And I talk about these different skill sets used to hunt elk. But, um, you know, if I'm totally honest, like the more open country I can catch the elk in, the better my chances of killing them. The more I chase them in that deep, dark timber, like the, the, 
the the less my you know the more my chances go down or the less chance I have of killing that bull and so I understand what you're saying it's like a lot of cover in there and it's not master vantage points and so you're not seeing that bull and go okay I'm gonna make a play down here and cut him off there you're trying to use these auditory sounds and then trying to like it's it's flatter in there those canyons are bigger there's more timber it's just not as likely to kill him so I think you could have stayed in there and killed a bull. You just went to some country that you're familiar with that you have a better chance at and went in there and dove in and then caught a great big bull and went and killed him just like it should be. Like it, uh, <laughs> it, it like wasn't a matter that the spot wasn't going to produce or anything. Like, um, but, but I think that's like, it's, I think it makes a good point of like hunting. Hunting in this country with more topography or that is more open is going to give us a better chance at success, and it's part of the reason why I've killed so many bulls is I love hunting them in that open terrain, and sure, I'll go chase them in the deep dark, but you know, I found myself this year – like, I think it comes down a lot to the plays we make. Like, there's a lot of good hunters out there that are in really good shape, really good shooters uh, that are also getting into elk. And it just seems like it comes down to these these plays we make when we get these opportunities, like really being clutch in that moment on those plays. And, you know, I had the same thing this year uh, hunting in that mountain spot, too, where I found a great bull and I chase him. And then, you know, it just didn't come together. And I almost played it more passively than I normally do. Like I chased this one bull and, man, it got like he was bugling his head off. I found him. I started closing in. I was playing the game. It got to be about nine o'clock and those winds started to get pretty fickle down in this basin, you know, and the winds are getting fickle. And then by nine o'clock in this country, like they're in the timber and I'm like 200 yards away from this bull. But all of a sudden it's this thick downfall crap, you know, that's just like so noisy to move through. And it's like, okay, I had to sit and think about it. And it's like, all right, he's he's still bugling, but he's in this thick cover now as he's starting to bed his cows. The wind's starting to change around. Like, all I'm going to do is go in and bust this bull and have to go find another one, and he's a great bull. Like, I'm better to sit this hunt out and then catch him out in the evening when he comes into these parks and chase him with, like, a more – uh, like a better wind and like he's in the opening where I can kill him. And so I had to sit back and it was nine o'clock in the morning. And wouldn't you know it, this bull just bugles his head off till 1030 in the morning. <laughs> like every time he bugles, I'd start moving in again. It like took everything, like every fiber in my being not to go move in and try to kill that bull in that spot. But I just realized how low percentage it is. Now, a lot of times that bull comes out in the evening and I kill that bull and I look like a, look like I'm a genius elk hunter, you know, but it didn't happen this year. Like he came out in the evening and instantly he was moving and I was trying to keep up with him and, uh, you know, just following him through the, the crap. So it's like not always going to work out, but it comes down to these instincts and really making these high quality plays. Like I know talking to my buddies, you know, they've got winded a bunch this year on good plays on good six points. And it's like, that's their chance at them. And, and that does happen. Like the winds are really tough to, to be able to dial in all the time. But when they are fickle, like just holding off and waiting for a better chance to go close in on that bowl has been advantageous to me. But I really think it's like these, these plays we make, like, man, you have to be so good when you're trying to close in on a big bowl. It like takes, it takes all 
all your instincts that you've honed, every every good decision you can make, like really not giving yourself away, keeping the element of surprise. But I really think it's those clutch plays that equal dead bulls, don't you? Oh, totally. Well, and that's the thing, dude. You kind of hit it. Um, in that in that spot, the one thing I caught myself because I mean I err on the more aggressive side. Um, and Me in too. this spot, yeah, and in this spot, you know, it's like. I couldn't put together a great play on him. You know, I mean, for the last two years, I just couldn't put together a great play in this spot. And then I started questioning myself, am I being too aggressive? You know what I mean? Uh, and, and out there, it's like, yes, you do have thermals and whatnot, but it's pretty easy to get a directional. You know, you can pretty much play those directionals out there for the most part. I mean, yeah, you get into some deep cuts and, and that, and it's like, yeah, you definitely, there are definitely thermals in there. Um, but that is, you hit the nail on the head. I just couldn't put together one of those plays or even one of those mobile kind of tailing, tailing them. And then boom, you're there, you're in position. I just couldn't put together one of those. And that's where I had to cut ties with that, with that spot. Because when you can put together a high offer or just a, a, a play that is so high, uh, percentage i mean that is when stuff dies you know it's like when you are like when you can draw it out like yep this is what needs to happen whether it be waiting for them all day and they come out in their feeding feature or catch them in transition that's when stuff dies and those and those were the type of plays that i just couldn't quite put together in there mm-hmm. you know um and wouldn't you know it i take off and go change change areas and get into some more country that's just more suitable for how i operate and yeah a big bull dies you know and it's just because it was so it it was so refreshing it was within 24 hours of leaving that spot i had a bull dead you know and it was just because i could put i could hunt it the way exactly the way that i wanted to and that's when yeah then then it just comes down to being clutch and thank God this year that's all I've been is just on the money. So it's been fun. Yeah. It's a good way to be. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You have to be sharp too. It's like, you can't make these little mistakes and these mistakes happen to the best of us as well, where you give yourself away or you come in with a, in the wind switches and you're like, man, I should have known. Like we've made all those mistakes over the years and it's really learning for, from them. And I've, I've hunted really well this year and I haven't made a lot of those mistakes and there's still no guarantee it's going to come together. But you know, like I can remember a couple instances, like I had this muley buck and, um, God, I closed in one night. There was like a couple big ones. Like I find, like I got a chance to chase a 200 incher again this year. And it's, it's been a few years since I've even found a buck of that caliber. Uh, and I just, I, they were timbering up more so than, uh, you know, they do in that early season, like it's, I'm getting into secondary, uh, living season, like, uh, later into September when I could hunt this place. And so I had a couple of shooter bucks, that one, 200, another one that was probably one nineties. I called big red. He had like rubbed all the velvet off and he was a red hardhorn, but they're timbering up. And so the one night I like, I like catch them and I can't bet them and stock them like I want to because they're just disappearing into this big timber patch. So I thought, well, evening's my play. The last hour I'll close in, use that downhill thermal, come in below them, kind of like I'd hunt an elk. And they come out in the park, just like read the script. 
and I start closing into this spot. Man, I'm just getting close. I'm like maybe 100 yards, 120 yards from them. Can't see them and expose them over the rise and through the timber yet, but I'm just getting close. And all of a sudden, I hear this deer blow at me, and I'm like, what in the heck? And I and I creep up to like get a look at where these deer should be, and I like run face to face into a mountain lion right there. And that that damn mountain lion had came in with a bad wind. You talk about crappy hunters. He was like had blown the whole thing up for me. I thought I was gonna have to shoot the thing as he just stared there, uh, stood there and stared at me at like twenty yards. But anyways, he blew up the deer. I had to give up that night. It wasn't a mistake I made. I felt like I played it perfect and should have been a dead deer. Well, next morning. I'm going to go look in this basin, you know. I didn't pressure them after they spooked. Figured they'd hang out in there. But I pause on this saddle, and I get in the timber, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to give myself away or cross this open hillside to this basin before light. There might be some deer in there. So I sit back off this saddle in the timber and kind of glass around as the lights are coming on. But I'm getting antsy. I got 20 minutes to cross this open hillside or semi-open hillside to get over to where the basin is. And so... I glass around as the lights are coming on, and then I kind of have to walk out to this open saddle and look into the drainage right below me, just look around one more time before I cross it. So I walk to that open saddle, and I look to my right, and I just pick out two bucks on that open face, and they've already got me pegged. It's like 200 yards, and I walked out into that open saddle you know, I should have just sat in that timber for five more minutes and let the lights come on a little bit more and picked it apart a little bit closer. Instead, I just took a quick look. I didn't pick them out. Now I'm standing on the saddle and I've got those two bucks that see me. Like the element of surprise is already gone. Now this is my last day. I know I would have killed a buck in there. I tried to stick a tree in between me and them and creep in. And then I got there and they were gone. And I look up there and Big Red staring right down at towards me, like down towards that tree. And so Big Red and those couple bucks had made that face. And I just made the mistake and gave myself away. And the whole gig was up. And so I know you can relate in this elk country. It's like, man, if you come over one rise, like elk in that country – they're on high alert and they're looking for humans and, and they really use their eyes in that country the same way an antelope would or a mule deer or anything. And it's there's so many rises like you may have to look over 100 rises that day and you got to come over each and every one slow and like glass with your binos, write what exposes over the ridge, take another couple steps, expose what's over the ridge. And now you might be walking at a full clip like as fast as you can walk through some of that country that you've already glassed or already looked at, but then you got to remember to slow down when you're coming over the top of these things. And one mistake there, and all of a sudden this, this slam dunk opportunity that you have, it's all ruined, you know, just because you, you weren't like as disciplined or didn't take as much time over these rises. And it happens to all of us, but it's so important to like hunt country and and believe that there's animals in it because even in that country that you're hunting and there's a lot of elk in there there's a lot of places they're not you know and so you have to glass each and every one of those little crooks and crannies until you turn up those bowls or otherwise you like mess up opportunities so like i mean i guess my question i'm posing is like you know did, did you bust any elk in that tough spot in there or were you just chasing behind them and when you got to the new spot like how disciplined do you have to be in there to be able to turn up those elk? Like you got to hunt really well or you just don't turn up those opportunities. Doesn't that still seem like the case over there? Oh, that's a hundred percent the case. Yeah. And yeah, in that, in that tough spot, uh, my best opportunity, 
um, I had him, he was just screaming and, uh, I obviously knew he had some cows. I mean, he was going nuts and he was about to wrap this knob. Um, and he's down in like this thick Jack pine stuff and I could catch glimpses of him. And, uh, I figured he was gonna come in bed on this Northeast spacer. And, uh, and so I'm like, perfect. I've got him. You know, I finally have a good wind. Uh, it's strong enough to where it, nothing's going downhill on this, on this base. Cause it's coming dead in my face, right? The wind is. And, uh, I got excited, you know, and same sort of thing instead of just creeping over that top, getting in a, in position to where I can cut him off. Did I walk over that thing standing straight up, like go to get in position and I look down and there's like, the lead cow is already there. And did I freeze? And I mean, she was, oh shit, 25 yards, dude, just like, and pegged, you know, it's like you're toast. And I stayed frozen. It was amazing though. I stayed frozen, dude, for as long as I could. I bet it was five, six minutes. And he just kept screaming and all these other cows just kept filtering. But then she was just like the damn dude. They all just started stopping right behind her. And I'm like, well, the gig's up, you know, and he finally came around the corner realized and then yeah so i mean i blew him up right there and it was if i would have crested that knob i wouldn't be talking about how hard this spot was i would be talking about how <laughs> the hero of this spot you know uh but i just came over too quick and they were within bow range of the spine of the ridge you know and that was the best opportunity probably that i've i mean I shouldn't even say that. There's been so many good ones, but those were the first elk that I busted in that spot because usually I'm tailing them. But yeah, it just came over too quick. Um, but then you know I change change locations, get up into stuff that's uh, more open, you know, with those cedar and pine pockets and that. And it's just the night that I found the bull that I killed uh, was that same night. And uh, I get to walk a long ridge. You know, you can walk this thing for three and a half miles. You know. Um, one side really, you know, there could, it's probably more transition zone for elk. There's no real bedding features in it. The other side is great. You know, like this is where they're at. The, the West side of this deal is where these elk are going to be. And so, yeah, I just took my time, stayed on the back side of the Ridge, walk a couple of hundred yards, creep up glass, everything. And man, I wasn't, <sighs> I wasn't 1500 yards out, out of the pickup where most, most guys would, and you know, me every once in a while would just be bebopping down the ridge, you know, just glass in the far and, uh, yeah, just creep down and I'd peek up just glass. And, you know, like you say, take a step glass, take a step glass, boom, there's a cow, you know, 400 yards away. And it's like, Okay, got him, you know, so loop back around, get in position. Things weren't quite right that night. I had a goofy, goofy wind, and then I knew the thermals were – that was a deep, deep cut through that stuff, so I know the thermals were going to change and go down, and I couldn't get blown because there was actually another group of elk with a smaller bull. So I was like, I just need to hang out, watch them. If, if stuff develops or they come my way and feed up onto this top, great. Uh but yeah, that's just like the total difference is I finally slowed down in this spot because I knew it's like, hey, I'm going to see him like it's what I've done for the for years now in this place. You know, it's like take it easy and yeah, just don't expose yourself. And uh, the elements element of surprise. I mean, I sat with within 450 yards of these elk for 
three hours, you know, two hours, and the bull never stood up. I didn't know if there was a bull in there, but I had a good feeling that there was, you know. And then I could, right before dark, he started raking, got up, gave one just a half-assed bugle, and it's like, ooh, that's the one, you know, like, that's the one. And so, yeah, yeah, totally, uh, that is so key. And it was all because I just was taking my time. Every couple hundred yards, just come up, glass a new spot, glass a new pocket. And yes, then it's like, okay, got some elk here. Yeah. And then, and then it's on, you know, then, then the game begins instead of <laughs> walking over the ridge like I did the, the morning, that morning and just 40 cows go flying. It was crazy. I've never seen a bull that early with that many cows in that spot, but yeah, it, it sounded like a stampede when I blew him out of the, out of the tough spot. Holy smokes. But yeah, finding that bull that night that was pretty exciting because it was, it was how it should have worked. You know, it's like, that's, that's the game creep over those ridges, glass, keep moving. And then, and then just watching them, you know, elk being elk and not being in a rush. Then I was able to actually, if I could make a play, great. If not, I just held back because I mean, you know, they'll move, but if they're in, if they're in a, particular area out there and they don't get pressure they'll kind of hang out and use it for a day or so before they move on and uh yeah that next morning um i knew he was gonna be in there and i had the same goofy wind so i knew i had to get all the way down around them and then hunt it backwards you know i didn't pick them up i didn't pick them up early which was weird they just weren't talking but i knew they were gonna be in there and yeah, same thing. I mean, that's honestly what killed them. Um, I get down and around, saw a small bull, didn't blow him out, worked around him, and uh, just working back up into that same stuff that they were bedded in the day before and creeping ridges, peeking into bedding areas. You know, I always kind of check my onyx when I go before, like before I go into another cut, and I usually line distance it, you know, just, just so I know what I'm dealing with yardage wise across some of these things. Cause some of those fingers you'll get up to them and they're, you know, only a hundred yards across, you know, and that's this last one that I checked. That was the case. It was like across, it was 120, but once it got pinched, it got into bow range, you know, and creeping, creeping, creeping. And I creep up and there he is just raking a tree, heading a tree, just in a cedar range. him. he's outside of bow range a little bit, but then, just worked down that spine, dude, got him quartered away and, oh, just made a shot. It was so sweet. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But creeping, creeping those ridges and keeping the element of surprise and just glassing what you can see just little by little. And that's, that's how I, I mean, that's what killed him right there. Hmm. Man, it's, um, yeah, that's bow hunt, man. It's, uh, Gosh, it's it's like so you weren't chasing some uh it it wasn't some rut crazed party he wasn't bugling all morning like you knew he was there the night before and then you had to hunt your way through it uh it, it's like you have to be so disciplined and believe in the spot you're hunting it's like the moment you give up on that spot and start thinking the grass is greener on the other side or there's no elk in here is like the moment you make a mistake and then give yourself away it's hunting your way through that and keeping that element of surprise like that's the the whole reason why you killed that bull you know it 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 does 
like you have to be really present in the spot you're hunting. And then like I noticed this year, like talking to my cameraman, like he had some good insight. You know, we were we we'd be hunting or we'd choose a spot to hunt and you know, it's great when you leave the truck at dark or you leave into your spot and you can hear them bugling and you're chasing bugles and it's just like instant action but it it just doesn't happen like that all the time a lot of times we're heading in these spots or these locations where we think are elk and it's it's crickets as i'm walking in and as i'm hunting and so we hunt into this spot hunt into this ridge line and you know we're listening we're glassing in the morning we haven't seen anything we haven't heard anything now it's getting later it's like eight o'clock and you know there's like it would have been easy to turn around at this point, 8, 8.15, we've glassed a lot, we've listened to a lot, there's a little bit of sign in there on the ridge, some rubs and some tracks, but just not seeing them, and so it would have been really easy to head back and go, well, that's the morning hunt, let's start getting set up for evening, you know, where should we be? Instead, it's just like, oh, let's make that next climb up there, let's make that next rib ridge up there, let's, let's keep going, like, uh... You know, we just kept hunting in that spot and made that next ridge. And wouldn't you know it, that next ridge caught a vantage point, caught a herd of elk, caught a good bull. There was three or four other satellites with him, glassed a long ways away. And if we really sat still, we could hear him. But, you know, he was like more than a mile away. But so mm -hmm. many times just this extra effort or this being present in that spot, like really getting in there, uh, all of a sudden you'll turn one up. And that was the insight that my cameraman said. He said, you know, I wonder how many times I've turned back one ridge away from finding elk, one ridge away from finding a big muley. It's like the difference between you is like you continue to push in these spots and you get that one more ridge or that one more spot. And a lot of times it gets us into trouble as we end up miles away from where we want to be. Uh, but really like – you know, it isn't like every spot we dive in is crazy with rutting bulls or crazy with rutting bucks. Like there's a lot of spots we go where we don't turn up anything and we're so disciplined over every single ridgeline and believing they're there and it doesn't work out. But eventually it's like if you keep pushing and putting forth that effort, you just seem to turn up elk and deer and antelope. It's like that that effort to put you back one more ridge or listen in one more basin so many times that like turns up elk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, that's exactly right. And the, and the, the reason why I had to go such a big loop is I had a, I had a South wind and this drainage runs top down North to South or South to North, you know what I mean? And, and so, and I'm so far away from where the party probably was that morning you know, and I didn't want to just blow through all of this stuff. And in the, in the case that they were up higher in the drainage, you know, it's like I didn't think they were because I mean, I couldn't hear them. And it was like I just had to make a gigantic loop. You know, it's like I had to make a I mean, not gigantic, but four and a half mile loop to come in around the bottom side of them. So by the time I got to them, it's like, yeah, the party's over. Like I was playing them to catch them in their bed, you know. And it was like I knew if I creeped, my brother's really good at this. Honestly, this is why, what, why I did it is because he's killed a handful of bulls doing stuff like this, you know. And it's not like you're spot them, put them to bed type of deal. It's like, no, you just creep those ridges midday and catch them. And it was like, I don't know, it was like 11 something when I when I ended up finding him, you know. His cows were put away down below and he was just doing bull things. I mean, he was revved up. 
but he wasn't just he wasn't screaming his head off. In fact, I didn't even he didn't even bugle. Well, he probably bugled that morning. But when I killed him, it was just creeping. You know, one more ridge. Okay, hunt that one, hunt it up. Okay, nope, not there. And it's just like you start to feel. You know, I know that spot pretty good, and you start to get that feeling of like, oh man, like we're coming into into the alpha spot. Like if he's gonna be here now, he's this is the stuff he's gonna start being in. And it was like, sure enough, it was. Once I got that feeling, it's like boom, there he is. You know, and but it's the getting down around, not spooking other animals, deer. I mean, you've got to be on your toes and you know, a mule deer doe, you know, a, a raghead, you know, like any of these you go blowing these out. Like if I would have blew out that, that smaller bull, he probably, honestly, he probably would have ran up drainage and just torched them and off they went, you know? So it's like hunting them all, getting it to where it's like you, keeping the elements of surprise is just monumental. And yeah, one more ridge, like stand disciplined, like don't hurry over this one. It's like at the end of the day, if you got to go back to the pickup and they're not here, probably a couple drainages over, not a big deal, but staying diligent to the process is was the key to that you know it's like kind of i hunted them a little different but yeah it's like to be completely honest there was a dude walking down uh, or walking back up the far east ridge uh and i was still hunting down and around you know he was calling it it was like nine o'clock and he was he was just see you you know he was he was heading back for breakfast you know and, uh, and it was so funny, dude. I, uh, as I'm kind of approaching this last ridge before I aired him, I look up on the other skyline way to the West, a couple miles away. And there's two rigs up there and they're sitting there in their chairs. I don't know from where they were, they couldn't have seen this bullet, but they probably saw him go to bed. Like, honestly, they probably saw him go to bed because they could have seen the feature he came off of in the morning. And then here I am. And they're probably thinking, oh, what is this dipstick doing middle of the day? Just hunting through all this stuff. And, uh, oh, if they were, if they had, they, I could tell they had their spotter out. They probably watched me arrow him, or arrow him, you know? And it's like, it was just, everybody was back at, at camp doing their thing. And it was like, I was just sticking to the, sticking to the process of what I knew I needed to do because yeah, it's like, oh, I knew, I just knew I had to find him in his bed before he moved country completely. But yeah, sticking to just the fundamentals of of the stock or in that or how you're going to hunt that country is just so key. Yeah, I can visualize your hunt. Um, yeah, you killed that bull like not only on your discipline and hunting skill of being able to come over those ridge lines and believe in the spot, but also your game plan. Like to mm-hmm. come all the way around and make that loop and then hunt with the wind in your face like that. It wouldn't have worked out that way if you just, like you said, you located that bull 1,500 yards, 1,800 yards from where you left or whatever. It wouldn't have worked if you tried to hunt those high ridge lines down on them in the morning. Your wind would have been blowing right down in on them. So instead, you made this big loop and then came came up at them. Like so much of this is um, strategy. And a lot of times... It's tough because the strategy doesn't align with the topography. Like you'd love to just come over the ridge line right over top of him on his backside and and come up and arrow him at 40 yards. But it's like the country lended itself to it, but the wind didn't that day. And so a lot of times our game plan, you know, you have to take the tougher approach at him, but it's the more intelligent approach on him. And so – 
like it, it's not always the approach you want, but sometimes you have to like uh, uh, listen to all the variables or like pay attention to all the variables and make like a rock solid plan to start with, and that's what kills animals. And you know, more stocks have been busted by the wind than anything else. And I've I've had a lot of good buddies that are hunting elk this year, and you know, I I hear a lot of like, oh man, the winds were so fickle in there, which they are. And those mountains, the winds are really fickle, you know, or wherever it is, it's like. But if you can get this higher understanding of what the winds are doing or this picture in your head of what the winds are doing, it's the whole reason I killed my bull is like playing the wind, you know, it's like um, it was a weird day that day. It was raining and, um, you know, I got in that drainage and the wind was really fickle in the drainage. It was going up instead of down what I thought it should be. I had a right to left wind, but in the draw, it was going left to right because it was kind of wrapping in there and circling like if if you'd believe your wind checker that day, you just would have lost your mind and walked out of there. But I, I knew which way the directionals were coming. I knew the thermals would start coming down. And as I got to the base of the steep hill, the thermals started to listen and come down. I knew the directional was hard right to left. So I just got out of that draw and got like up on the ridge lines where I was getting that right to left wind. And then I could kind of make this plan of where the bull was at play the directionals and play the thermals and then put myself in the perfect spot. And then, you know, I have 20 elk and a couple different bulls all feeding around me, but I've got these two perfect winds that are working with me where any other approach on these elk, it wouldn't have worked. I would have got busted and blown up, but it was like this understanding or this, um, uh, this real like analyzing of the winds and what they're doing and how I'm going to approach. And, and a lot of times that strategy is like the difference maker to killing these animals or not killing them. And so I think the longer that we do this, this is like one place where we can really improve. And of course we can improve on like uh, our shooting, but what are we really going to like? We've been shooting our whole entire lives and shooting year round. And I, I really work at all these different facets. Like I want to be at my best and these, these hunts do come down to making a shot, but you know, maybe 1% improvement, but I really think this like intelligent, uh, stalking and, and game plan and, uh, strategy, it's like a place where we can really get that 3% or 5% improvement, you know, on our plays to not, you know, you've said it a bunch of times, like keep the element a surprise, the longer, that you can keep the element of surprise on these animals. It's just like they're going to make a mistake and you're going to get a chance at them. And so like not giving yourself away and then making these plays, I really think it's like where we can still continue to improve as bow hunters. Like, man, it's just such a, a huge component of killing these things. And there's just nothing worse than making a stupid play either. And it happens to all of us where we're like, Oh, I'll just, I'll do this and I'll wrap down in. And then you get down in there and you blow them up and you go, gosh, I should have known better. You know, it's like, I, I hate making those stupid plays, but I do think that, that that is the difference maker between fill and tags and not is a lot of that strategy that you're talking about. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And And when I think about it, you know, the, the bear, the antelope in this bowl so far, there was, there was a quote unquote, probably easier way to get into bow range, you know, but then you're, then you're tempting the wind, you know, it's like you're giving it the opportunity to do something squirrely that blows the whole situation up. And on all three of them, it's been, it's been the hard way, you know, it's been the way that's like, well, if I make this extra mile and a half or whatever it may be, 
then I know for certain that I'm not, the wind isn't going to be an issue anymore. You know, it, barring something totally weird, uh, I'm going to be in a, I'm going to be in good shape wind wise. And that's honestly the one thing that I've taken from you is, is really reading how, not just like you're directionally thrown, but how that wind will come into a cut or into a bowl or a basin or anything and how it's actually going to work in there. You know, um, that was the one thing I thought of my bowl. Cause then it got to be midday, you know, it was 65 degrees. And on this one face, it was like, I knew if the wind came rolling around there and that's where I ended up killing this bowl is I had to work down, but I knew that that way that wind was going to come in there, it was going to shoot up and back behind me. You know, it wasn't going to keep carrying, uh, South to North. It was going to come wrap in there, you know, if I would have played this half-hearted, you know, and just bebop down the ridge and I would have got down there early, that wind would have done the exact opposite. It would have came down and then it would have shot down the drainage. You know, it's like the thermals would have sucked it down. And, and it's, I think, you, I mean, you and I have talked about it. It's like, it's usually the hard way or the way that takes a little more effort that puts you in position to, to be in bow range and have the wind not be, an issue you know and it's there's always if you're trying to if from my experience if you're trying to find a shortcut to get into bow range that's probably the wrong way mm-hmm. yeah like my move on big red was like a shortcut <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> no uh man it's almost like uh uh you're putting the 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 wind is first like when you're thinking about these stocks and these plays on these animals like uh wind is absolutely number one so instead of like looking at the topography and how you're going to make your move on this animal you're almost looking at the wind first and foremost and go well i gotta approach from down because that's the safest wind and even though that's not the best approach like i'll be stealthy and sneaky in my approach from that direction but wind is is number one it almost sounds like that with your bear your antelope uh and your bowl is like wind is number one wind is king yep wind is king and and it's because if you even if you're not necessarily wind is king because if you're not necessarily in inside bow range um or you're you're far limits of it it's like if you have the wind things just happen you know and and you have to let it develop in a way you never know what they're gonna do you know if that bowl if that bowl would have been a little bit further you know it's like he may, I could have sat there all day. Uh, the wind stayed the same, and who knows what would have happened. He could have just closed the gap. Now, it didn't happen that way. It just happened to be I could get to a spot where I could arrow him. But even if you're not in an effective range, things can develop. You know, you can sit on them. There was a, there was a buck last year that I did the same thing. I just I didn't end up killing him. Um, but I, but I got to a place where I had an opportunity, you know, it's like he was 140 yards out. The wind was ripping. He had does down in front of me and I kept the wind, kept it, kept a good wind. And he ended up coming down and through and it's like, oh my goodness, a, a few things go different and he's dead. But it's like, I sat there for two hours, you know, just waiting. And then it's like, things started to develop, you know, and it's like, I just kind of ran out of daylight on the deal, but you stay, you stay right with them. You stay right with them with a good wind and things just eventually will develop or, or you'll be able to make another play in closer proximity. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, dude, spot on. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the the bull I killed crossed up ahead of me. I didn't think I was going to get a chance at him. I just was there with a good win. And if you'd asked me how long I sat in bow range, I'd tell you twenty minutes. Well, I had a GoPro run and it was seven, but it felt like twenty. <laughs> like, uh, but seven <laughs> minutes is a long time to be in range of all these cows and two different bulls to wait for uh, an opportunity to develop. And like you say, sometimes that. That seven minutes is hours, you know, and it is just waiting for it to develop. But if you keep that good wind, that element of surprise, and you're not moving, giving yourself away, always aggressive. Like, like I'm aggressive, you're aggressive, we make plays, we make stocks. But there's a time to sit totally still and just let it develop where you can't move, you know. And, and these animals, these ungulates, pick up so well on movement that sometimes – we keep pushing and like I call it stalking to failure. I know we've talked about it before, but you just keep stalking closer and closer until you bust the whole herd and then it's over. That was your chance. You got to get good at like stalking, like taking what the animals will give you. So you stalk in as close as you can till you start to see those cows and you start to see those animals. And just like you talked, like you snuck into range of that bull and, and he was doing bull things and, and he was in range. But if he wouldn't have been, I would think that you would have froze right there and let things develop, let them get to a different spot. Don't give yourself away to the cows. So there's like a time to be aggressive and get yourself in, but then you have to be good at really slowing everything down and being still, keeping that surprise and letting that whole situation develop around you. Uh, you know, and a lot of that like just ties back to these hunting instincts that we've honed uh, of when to move slow, when to move quick, when to... Uh, how to come over ridge lines, and then like when to move and try to make your play and get narrow in that bull, and when to sit back and let it develop with a good wind and and not be picked up. Uh, but yeah, so much of this game, there's just so many damn variables in it that it's so difficult, you know. But uh, it 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 does make for like the ultimate challenge trying to get in. It's why it feels so good when it happens. And then, um, man, you've been working so hard on your shooting. You put good shots on all your critters this year. Doesn't that feel good with quality execution to really sit behind your shot and oh. not rush yourself? I think is like the biggest thing. It's like you know, always when we get a shot at these animals, uh, you want to make that shot for sure. But it's almost just like giving yourself those extra couple seconds to like execute correctly, like you would on a target, like you would at the range. Uh, that seems to make all the difference between making a perfect shot and um, and just putting one in the bowl. You know, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, the last the last handful of years execute my execution i've just changed my mindset on it you know it's like if i when i hit full draw you know it's not a rush from then on you know it's like when you hit full draw then it's time to go through the actual process of making a shot you know and it, and i've refined it now to where it's you know i, I don't want to say autopilot because the one thing that i've found that's helped me a ton is being totally present now in the shot um literally talk talking it through to myself like the like perfect example on this bull he had a mud spot on him you know he's quartered away and he had a mud spot on him and it's like pick a spot and it's like ooh, there it is you know okay and then i mean i hunt with the hinge and it's like i roll to my click and then it's just like i just stare through that mud spot and just roll 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 and it's amazing you know because obviously we shoot a ton and 
so crazy. Like say, even just out on the range, when you go through your process, if you miss your spot, you miss it by hardly, hardly a thing. You know what I mean? And that's what I've taken into the field with me is like, if I go through my process and I execute my shot, it's like, I may quote, you know, technically quote unquote, miss my spot but I'm never going to know it on a critter. It's like, it's going to be, it might not be a 12, but it'll be a 10. You know what I mean? And it might, might not be a perfect 10 or it might be the edge of it, but it's just like that kills animals. But the, what really kills them for me now is like, now I know when I hit full draw, it's like, I just stay in the moment. I don't go blackout mode, you know, like I used to back in the day, like where you kind of go blank and just go, autopilot and, and letter buck you know it's like now the execution is just so key to me uh to my success it's because now i'm so confident in you know making making that shot when i ranged that bolt and those numbers came up it's like that's my first shot every single day like that's the shot i shoot and it was like he's dead go through your execution he's dead you know and maybe that's the wrong way actually i don't think it's the wrong way to think about it if you don't think he's dead when you range him and you draw back i I think that's not a question in your mind you want to have it's like when when i ranged him and those numbers came up all of them this year it's like dead you know and just go through go through your process and now i don't get too wound up until that impact you know until he tips over that's when i get that's when I lose it. You know, that's when the adrenaline really hits me now is it doesn't so much hit me because I've done a good job before the shot during the stock of staying calm and calming myself down. Cause I mean, gosh, the day that it doesn't get you wound up is the day you should probably stop doing it, you know, but it's, you got to take those 15, 30 seconds, whatever it takes in my opinion. It's like, I got to calm myself down, you know? Okay. Hey, it's just foam, you know, it's like, it's you're out at the range, make a shot, you know, cause that execution from the garage out to the range here at the house is no different than the execution from that Ridge across the Canyon down to that bull. It's like nothing changes, stick with it. And yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to just put some absolute great shots on, on some animals. And it's like, yeah, things happen, but if you go through your process and have a plan it's amazing how efficient you can just truly become it's like i've my shooting for the last handful of years has been really good but it was taking it to the to the field these last few years i've taken it from the range to the field and man that feels good oh my gosh it's like (laughs) it's when you hit full draw and you anchor and you walk walk yourself through it mentally and it doesn't take that long it's an extra couple seconds you know and that's why it's important not for me to not be in a rush because really it doesn't take any longer to go through a really good shot to go through a really good shot stay behind it i always think too it's like you always know or at least i do when i let a good one go it's like i'm behind my bow and that arrow i can almost see the arrow leave my bow you know it's like you stay behind your bow stay behind your shot and it's just like Yep. Like I would have loved to have a slow motion video of that arrow getting loose because it was just felt so perfect, dude. It was like slow motion watching that thing go after the shot. It's like I'm still staring at my spot and like you can see the arrow and I could see the arrow in my like peripheral, you know, 
and just, yeah, the execution is so key. Like if there's one thing that I could say as far as, I mean, everybody's different and each, each scenario is different, but yeah, having a quality execution of a shot is just paramount. I think, I mean, there's nothing better than loosening a good one on a critter where it's like, yep, done. Yeah. You nailed it, dude. Um, Mm. that is it. It's like, uh, it's really difficult to do. And, um, but you have to almost prioritize your execution versus getting an arrow off. And, And it sounds easy as we're sitting here talking, but this is like a lifetime of work for both you and I. It's like everything you have to work tirelessly. Like, like we work at the range. We work to be the absolute best archers we can. We, we both shoot nearly every day, hardly miss a day. And uh, we pride ourselves on being really good shots, and that's really good shots on targets, on 3Ds, that's shooting uh, longer ranges. It's like we know it comes down to making a shot, but you said it best. It's like to transition that shooting from the target to an animal is the difficult transition to make. It's like you can be a great shot on all these 3D courses and uh, tack, and, you know, I never break an arrow. I never miss foam. All the 3Ds I shot this year – I don't know how many different days, how many different targets, how many different ranges. I never missed a foam target. I actually, I think I shot maybe two fives out of a couple hundred shots on targets. And, you know, all the rest were eights, tens, and twelves. So that's great shooting. I've worked really hard to be a good shot like you have. But then to take that shooting into the field to when you're shooting at an animal to loose your best arrow, that's what's really taken time to hone. And and, and you you talk about it, prioritizing execution. You almost have to mess up where you know you, you do almost black out or you're not present in the shot. You pull back and then you know the pin just finds the middle of that bowl and swimming around and you punch that shot off. And sure, you kill some animals. You hit them in the middle and they die. But really picking that spot you want to hit, like you talked about that mud spot, or picking that exact aiming point on the animal that you want to hit, letting that pin float around that, the same way you'd shoot on a 3D target and then to pull, pull, pull on your shot and let it break clean like that. All of a sudden, when you can start to do that consistently, you transition that great shooting from the targets to shooting at animals, and all of a sudden, those bad shots stop happening. Like, you just start hitting them in the center, and they they go out and tip over, you know? And like you say, bad things can happen, or animals can move, or like, it's not... You know, it's bow hunting's never going to be a hundred percent, but your percentages just go way up when you prioritize that execution. And it almost takes like messing up some shots, not hitting animals correct, or like you, you almost have to get to this this low of going, all right. Like you did it again, Brian. You you just found your pin on that animal and you punched it off, and that like. You know, you have got to execute 100% of the time, and you start to get in this mindset of like, you know, like these animals, you always seems like you're in a rush, like they're going to move, they're going to go, and so you want that shot to break quick, but you you almost start to believe that, okay, I'm not going to mess up on my end. I'm going to let that pin float, and I'm going to execute a good shot every single shot, no matter the range, no matter 
the conditions, no matter if that animal's on high alert, I'm going to do my job. It's not going to be me that's going to miss that animal. And sure, if he gets out of the way of the arrow, if he moves before my shot breaks, that's fine. At least I didn't lose a bad one. But on my end, I am going to lose 100% like quality execution on my arrows. And you almost have to come to this mindset and decide this. And you still mess up the first couple times you get out there. You punch it off again, and you go, gosh dang it, I did it again. 100% of the time, I am going to execute a good shot. And once you start to get this execution and, and you start to execute these quality arrows and transition this really good shooting from targets to shooting your absolute best arrow on these animals, man, they just start tipping over. And it's it's just – um. It's it's like easier talk to talk about than it is easier to do. It takes such like discipline, like and, and such dedication to it. Like you have to believe 100, percent and you have to walk around your whole hunt like talking to yourself, like I am gonna quality, I'm gonna execute a quality arrow. And once you start to get the feel for it, and animals start to die. It starts to be second nature where then, you know, all your arrows, like that's the only way you know how to shoot on these animals. But I do think that that's the really tough transition for bow hunters is to execute their best shot on animals. And I think it's believing in that execution and uh, the same way you described your process. And that's why, you know, all these animals are dying over the years for you and for me is like believing in that execution. We just have a real similar process and and we've kind of got there the same way um and and man i mean that's the key to these animals dying consistently i truly believe it i do too and and the one thing to add to it i think is you have to be disciplined enough and honest enough with yourself like in 2019 man i i would crank on on the trigger you know what i mean and i and i got into a place where uh i just I mean, in all sense of the word, I just had target panic, you know, in the summer of 2019. And I just had to be honest with myself and just tell myself and go through my shot and be like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? You know, and and then like even on good shot, then you take it to the field, you know, and even on the good ones, on the bad ones, whatever it may be, because that year, you know, I had some I had good success that year. But then I had to just sit back and, like, think about it after the fact. Like, what was I thinking on that one? Okay, yeah, he died, but that wasn't a good – it wasn't a good shot. I was just fortunate that it was 33 yards, you know what I mean? Like, And, like, on this – for the last handful of years, three years, uh, every shot that I make in the field, I have to be honest with myself. There, We were hunting – uh, you and I and, and Dan were hunting and I had a couple opportunities and they were longer shots. And it's like, okay, I said I made a good shot. You know, I went through my execution, but did I really go through it? You know, or did I actually hit my click and then rush through the end of it? You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, in the moment you may feel like that's a good shot, but when you sit back and think about it, it's like, no man, like you rushed through the end of your shot. Like, and that's why you missed him low. You know, it's like you gave up on your shot. You rushed through the end of it. You were peeking or something, you know, whatever it may be. And it, that's where I've really turned the corner is, okay, no, after the shot, sit down, think about it for a sec, think about it honestly. And, and like, Hey, not every, you're not, no one's perfect. And, but like, be real with yourself. Like, no, I need to, when I hit my click, man, I need to just roll, roll, roll and stare through my spot. Like, 
take your time. Once you hit your click, doesn't mean you just crank the thing up. That's not a good shot. Yeah, you made it to your click, but the last little bit is it isn't isn't how things die, you know. And that's been the difference. And it's like when I look back at all these shots this year, I had a shot on that bear where I was pretty wound up, you know, like made a big stock. Boom. He comes out of the timber. He's in the bottom right below me, you know, and it's a it, it was a little bit longer shot, but a shot that I'm super comfortable with making. And I settle on him and it's like, OK, slow down, pick your spot, go through it. And it's like, OK, now that's how you make a shot. But it's like I had to in the moment of getting to here, getting to anchor, everything was screaming in me. Oh, let it rip, you know, and it's like, <laughs> no, 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 slow down, you know, like, and those, those type of shots start to really happen. That's when I feel like, that's why I felt so good the last handful of years. It's because it's like, I've been able to check myself uh, in the moment and like fight back the urge to like send it in that last little bit. It's like, no, just finish the game, like finish the deal and 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 make a good shot and it's just being honest being honest with myself and and replaying those shots and it's like it's such a great feeling uh either way honestly to know to know how you executed you know because things do die when you don't do it right but it's if you don't do it right at least be honest with yourself and they're like okay next time we need to slow down through the back half of this deal you know it's like but no as of late like i said last you know, whatever, however many critters it's like, yeah, it's been on. Yeah, it's been on. It feels good. And that's, I take a lot of, uh, recently, you know, cause I, like you said, we shoot all the time, bare, hardly ever miss a day. I put so much emphasis on my first arrow now every day and I'd shoot it at a yardage probably just like you do. That's on the outer limits. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, this is my chance broadside feeding perfect conditions like longer shot it's like make a shot after a long day of work maybe you haven't ate a thing barely drank any water you know it's like similar to a hunt in in certain senses and it's like okay if you think you're as good as you are make a shot you know and and i've been doing that all i mean the last couple of years but it's like that makes a huge difference too instead of just stepping out flinging one at 55 and just center punching it. It's like, no, 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 stretch that thing out a little bit to where you think your effective range is. And let's see if you make a shot because then it's like, it's not pressure, but it's like, you know, with yourself, it's competition. You know, it's like how many days in a row can I, can I 10 ring that sucker and be, take it to the field and know that when I click him, Oh yeah, he's dead. You know? And that's honestly the antelope and the bull I've shot basically at the same yardage. And it's like, that's my shot every day, you know? And it's like, yep. Yep. That's yeah. You're dead. You know, click it, scroll it. You're dead. So, and a broadhead too. Like, uh, uh when you're practicing, broad. it's a broadhead, the yeah. first era too. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. That's what I've taken from you too. Is that's dude. That's what I started doing is I bought a bunch of those practice heads and that's, Oh my gosh. Wind drift, you know, mm -hmm. drag it, distant, any of it. You know, and I found I finally found a broadhead that I really I mean, I love I love. And uh, but yes, shooting a broadhead, that is 100 percent a practice head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I kind of tested it. Now, granted, these broadheads, I shoot that that Grim Reaper uh, Pro, that inch and three eighths expandable three blade. And I love that head. And I was like, man, I'm looking at them and it's like, do these fly the same? And that practice head flies 
I've shot them both at targets now. And that practice head is so legit. Like it mm-hmm. hits with it, you know, and it's like any broadhead, you just have to either shoot one, like give one to the cause and that's your practice head or find one that does have a practice head. And that's so key. And it yeah. costs money. You go through broadheads trying to get <laughs> practice heads and shooting them every day with the group. And it's, I don't, not every one of my arrows is a practice head, but at this point, like half of them are once I'm into season, you know, and even when I'm in the off season, there's always one or two broadheads in the group. And I, I shot the, the evolution, um, yeah. hybrid this year, which I really like, and they have a practice head as well. Uh, and, and I like those Grim Reapers that you're shooting. I've killed a bunch of animals with those. They're both great heads, but yeah, mm-hmm. shooting those practice heads in your practice is, uh, absolutely key. Like, uh, you just have to know how they fly. They're less forgiving than a field point, even the best broadheads out there. And so, like you said, you have to know what your wind drift and wind drag is. You have to know what your first arrow is going to do with a broadhead on the front of it. And, uh, you give up some money and you, you kill some broadheads along the way. And, uh, you know, and, and you also, it's like a good reality check too. And I, I love what you said, like being honest with yourself. That's such a huge part of it. It's like the the ego is there to protect yourself, and it's easy to let your ego just go, oh, well, it killed him. It was fine. Or, uh, you know, the same thing with your yeah. practice. It's like you have to be honest with yourself in your shooting, and that's really how you're going to progress. Uh, but, yeah, shooting those broadheads with every single group is, is – um, Clutch, and then I know you've got a heck of a course set up at your place. Like shooting those three Ds is also clutch. Like knowing where to aim on those things, you know, to be able to kill those things as well. So, well, man, yeah, um, yeah. dude, it's no surprise you're having such success. Like you have the last handful of years. Um, it was fun to see uh, some redemption this year. As I know, like uh, like last year you didn't kill a bull, which is really strange for you. Is you, every year I'm used to those photos coming through of a big one. So nice to see the redemption, and you've got um, bear, antelope, bull down. Like all we got left is box. Now we got to start chasing those things around a bit. Yeah, yeah, we need to get out and go chase it, D- dude. Walking over here uh, to my brother's place this morning just to sit down and do this, like. Muleys must have walked through the yard, dude, because I could smell them, and it just felt so so much like fall. And it's like, oh, I've got to go to work today, and I'm smelling mule deer, crisp air. It's like, oh, we got to get out and chase those things. Yeah, we do. Let's make plans for a trip and get out, chase those things around, see if we can't arrow a a muley buck or two, either pre rut or during rut. And you were chasing a good one early season. You had a giant. You were chasing, huh? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, I found his buddies, but, uh, I never found him and I know he's still in there and it's rough and rugged stuff. Um, there were some cattle that were up in that were up in the drainage that he was in and he kind of disappeared. And on the last day, yeah, I kind of started looking behind me cause I just kept, I kept feeling like once those cows moved out of there, he would go back to living. Like his buddies were in there. Like, why wasn't he in there? You know? And uh, on the last day, dude, I'm like, well, I'll make a walkabout. And I didn't have much ground to hunt behind me. A lot of public out in front and down the drainage and everything. But behind me, it was pretty slim. You know, I had maybe 700 yards of of a drainage to hunt behind me. Well, dude, I start walking back there and I start cutting big tracks. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, he was he's probably living behind me the day I got to go. He's actually probably living right behind me, you know. Uh, but no, it'd be fun for us to go back after those ones. Cause there's, 
there's three there's three good ones. I really should have made a play on on a couple of those other bucks, but he was he's a special one. And then, dude, I found another one. Like I found another one. It's kind of a in a not a dicey spot. It's just a sliver of public um, with some private ground around it, you know. And it's like one of those deals where he's been close to coming on the pub and bedding. And he's a great one too. Like he's a great one. And he's got a couple good bucks that run with him. I don't know. I haven't been out there to check on him in a while. I was thinking about sneaking out the end of this week, but, uh, yeah, gosh, I've been knocking, knocking doors in archery season is not the way to get permission. I will say that usually I have pretty good success on getting permission, but it's like in the middle of the season, it just isn't quite right. You know, when you ask in July or June, it's pretty easy, but Maybe they just know that there's an absolute hammer living back in there. I don't know, but yeah, no, they're around. Yeah, they're they're around. But we'll, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out with you and going and covering a bunch of miles. And we'll we'll turn up some, we'll turn up some good ones. But noted if if you want to go up to that one spot and hunt that stuff with, like, we should go there. Like, it, it's good. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. Good. Well, let's go chase him, man. Uh, but yeah. really pumped for you, dude. What an awesome Thanks. bull. And then 80 plus inch antelope. It's, uh, <laughs> you're having the season of dreams and, uh, definitely no surprise. But yeah, you're killing it, man. So, um, yeah, let's just Thanks. finish off with a good buck and, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, uh, start working towards next year. But, um, thanks, thanks, Dan, uh, Dylan. God dang it. It, um, it's always fun yep. to like connect with you and get you on the podcast. You have such good insight into archery and bow hunting. So man, it's just a riot. Cool, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, fun conversation with Dylan. I just, uh, I always love chatting with that guy. It seems like we connect about every couple weeks for a chat and uh, lucky enough to hit record on this one. So just love having him on the podcast. So thanks to him for his time. Thanks to you guys uh, for your support on the podcast, the reviews on iTunes and ratings uh, there and Spotify and all the apps that you listen to podcasts really help. Appreciate that. Appreciate the shares on uh, Instagram as it just keeps this podcast rolling so I can get out these good episodes to you guys. So thanks for all the support. Uh, Thanks to the support from our sponsors, Matthews. Go check them out. That new Phase 4 is awesome. Uh, Check out um, Stone Glacier, all the products they produce. Just a great company, great backcountry gear. So thanks to those guys. Uh, Thanks to Black Ovis, a great retail shop. You can save that 10% with that elevated 10. And um, also Camo Fire. And uh, also, if you're uh, the other promo codes, like for the Mule Deer course, put in the promo code BRIANMDC. That'll get you a free MagView uh, uh, adapter for your spotting scope or for your binos. You can use them for either one. And just a great product. I've been using it for all my digiscoping. But yeah, it pretty much gets you the Mule Deer course for free just by um, becoming a member, you know. So yeah, you can check that out. And. Um, Man, everything we're doing over here at Eastman's, yeah, we're just um, cruising along in the heart of hunting season now, or I guess just getting over like elk season. Uh, It's October, just did a great backpack trip here this last weekend, solo backpack trip, and um, able to kill a great buck out there in one of my favorite spots, so that was really fun. And um, yeah, I've got a couple more late season tags here, going to get out with my daughter here next weekend or... Uh, this coming week here, we're going to leave in a couple days, 
and uh, do the youth hunt. She still qualifies for that for a couple days and then um, the general rifle season. So really looking forward to sharing an adventure with her and getting out as she keeps so busy with all her sports and friends and schoolwork. So we'll be good to spend some quality time with her. Looking forward to that one. And um, yeah, we'll keep cruising here through season. Excited for these muleys to get rutting. That'll be fun. And uh, yeah, some good stuff coming up. And um, then into application season. So, yeah, it's um, cruising by quick. It's always wait all year for hunting season, and then it just goes by so quick. It's so chaotic, but um, it's so fun. Man, it's so fun going on these adventures. So thanks to you guys for following along. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you guys are getting out on some good adventures and um, making some memories. So, yeah, with that, I'll check in with you guys next week.